What's up, guys? Welcome back to Drugs and Stuff with Dave Crossland. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You can use our code THINK for some additional savings. High-quality, third-party tested supplements from a company you can trust. Now, True Nutrition is basically a U.S.-based company. You can get them overseas, but the shipping is astronomical. So with that said, I've got a new sponsor, and that's supplementsource.ca. And so those are for our people in Canada, the people to the north. Well, technically, I'm in the north right now. Uh, okay. They specialize in discounted, uh, short-dated products, that type of thing. So you could find yourself a chain, like a tub of branch chains for you know seven bucks or something like that. They have a lot of, a lot of great prices, a lot of great discounts. So check them out. Uh, they are now supporting our programming. So thank you to them, supplementsource.ca. Dave Crossland. Canada, eh? Woohoo! And don't you forget it, mate. God save we, the we, queen. We own your ass, dude. We left because we were no, tired we of your threw shit. You out. We were tired we threw of your you shit, out. dude. We left. We threw bro. you out because you were shit. <laughs> we didn't get it right though, because no, you, you guys you have... can't fucking spell and you can't fucking pronounce words. Aluminium. Exactly. Yorkshire. Yorkshire. <laughs> Did you just do that on purpose? Give me strength. Oh my god, I tricked Dave. I think I just tricked Dave into saying Yorkshire. Oh my god, no, this I'm, is a classic I moment. Was, I wanted, I wanted Let's, to say it how you say it so you understood because... I think you continually pronounce it incorrectly. I think Dave did that by accident, but nonetheless, I'm going to take that as a win. Guys, we've got a topic for you today. <laughs> We're going to discuss our three favorite oral steroids and why. We just thought it'd be like a fun, chill, laid back topic uh, on this special birthday week for Dave Crossland. And after that, we are going to tackle your listener questions. Uh, by the way, guys, if you're not subscribed to our programming, I'd love for you to subscribe because we've got a ton of great podcasts coming out. Uh, hit the bell, all that stuff. It helps to boost us up. You know, people see like, hey, these guys actually have people following them, all that shit. It's the whole YouTube game, you know? So we appreciate you guys helping to play, helping us play the YouTube game. Plus likes, all that stuff, comments, helps to boost us up. And you can comment with questions for the next episode. We've got a bunch of your questions from the previous episode we're going to tackle today. But first, I'm going to let the birthday boy go first. Dave, what are your three favorite oral steroids and why? Can't we just say three favorite cakes instead? Mm. Okay, real quick. No, we, okay, let's do this. I'll, I'll make a deal with you. If we can actually get through the three favorite oral steroids and we can present our audience with some useful, insightful information. Well, then that's we, folks from day one, isn't it? I mean, come on. Then we can do three favorite cakes for one, one minute, but only one minute. One, one, one minute. Yes. Uh, three favorite orals. Well, it has to be oxys. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah, um, d Um, I know it's got a bad rep for estrogen and everything else, but it's a good, solid, old school compound. Okay, uh, and and you know it is productive, and then probably T-ball. T-ball. Mm. So these are all. Would you consider all of these growth compounds then? Well, I'd say T-ball is probably more performance based. 
Uh, I mean, yes, it will give you some some decent growth, but I um, I like T ball. I think T ball is a very good compound from people that are more athletic. Okay, less water retention. Yeah, less and more performance based. Uh, I mean, obviously, it falls slightly. In, I mean, it sort of crosses areas, but it falls slightly into that DHT category. Okay. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I mean, I, I think T ball works well in performance environment. Oxy's a good old fashioned power drug, uh, and and D ball, you know, it, it, one of its strength is the fact that it converts to estrogen and and. It may be really old school and it may not be fashionable now, but you know, it's a good solid compound that will give you good results. Yeah, so I think you make a good point too. A lot of times you know, people are scared of estrogen. They wanna mm. bind it all up, block it all up. Uh, but if you were to do that, you basically have castrated what D-ball does. You know what I mm. mean? Part of D-ball strength is its aromatization, which is why it's such a good old school off, off plan, you know, building drug. Yeah. Um, with everyone so worried, the estrogen. I mean, obviously, estrogen has its downsides, you know. But generally speaking, if you remove the gyno element, estrogen is a temporary problem. It's not a. a it's not anything that's going to cause you a real long term issue. Um, and it, it's you know, if you you get a bit watery, you get a bit bloated. Fine, you just control that once it comes you, but people seem to be absolutely terrified of that happening like it's the end of the world and they need to give up their cycle because they're holding a bit of war yeah yeah i'd agree with that oh elijah chimed in it's his birthday says morning fellas happy birthday to you elijah he shares a birthday week with you dave good lad all the good people were born this week so let's let's talk a little bit deeper about this then. So Anadrol being your number one, and I knew you were gonna say it. Like I thought when we had this topic, I was like, okay, so Dave's gonna come out firing with Anadrol or excuse <laughs> me, oxys. Uh, for a first timer, how would they dose oxys, and how would that fit into a cycle? Well, I think one of the problems with oxys are that they are more commonly dosed at fifty milligram tablets. Um, and you don't find many UGLs offering them at tens. Yeah, but you know it, it's still a decent compound at twenty five mega week at twenty five mega day. Sorry, you know you don't need to run at fifties. Um, it, it, it's it's a heavily criticised compound. It's got this lore about it being incredibly toxic, and it's gonna your liver's gonna crawl out your ass after a week and all this sort of stuff. And yet, you know, when you look at it medically, it's prescribed for children at one milligram per kilo. And why they prescribe anemia, um, people with anemia with oxy, is because it will elevate blood levels, but then it stabilizes. It doesn't keep pushing blood levels up. So once you get around six to eight weeks of oxymethylone treatment, your, your blood values stabilize. Now, if you're using 150 milligrams a day... I imagine obviously, they stabilize yeah. at a higher level, right? Yeah, I mean it's dose dependent, obviously, but 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 it, it's. I think it's a very misunderstood compound that actually does tend to deliver very reliably. Yeah, irrespective yeah. of the individual. Uh, but you know, there's nothing wrong with running oxys in the 20, 25, 30 milligram bracket. You don't have to hit fifty milligram or a hundred milligram, which people seem to think they do. I agree. I agree. How about uh, your number two then, D-ball? How would you, uh, you know what, in, real quick, 
how would that fit into a cycle, by the way? You said you could run it a little bit longer term, but uh, Oxy, would you say run that on its own, run that with test? What are you thinking would be a you know ideal cycle? Oh, Oxy Solo, I would stick it to the six to eight week mark um, just because of the estrogen or down regulation of estrogen impact. Uh, D-Ball, obviously, you can run much longer term because it is a test derivative and it does aromatize, so you don't have to worry about low estrogen at the back end of the oral. <clears throat> obviously, the longer you run an oral, the more stress your liver is going to get, so you need to bear that in mind. Also, stomach lining issues from oral yes. consumption can be an issue as well, so all those things need to be borne in mind when you're doing oral only. So, Oxy, I would tend to run with something. I like to put them in at the back end of cycles, ah. uh, both for the psychological boost of the fact that you've increased what you're doing. And just that little kick in the ass when things start to stabilize and things start to get a little bit stagnant with the cycle. Great pre, pre-performance drug in the way of strongman or, or powerlifting, you know, last couple of weeks into a comp. Uh, and very good bodybuilding if you're lean enough. And that is, that is the catch. If you are lean enough, then Oxy's pre-stage will bring you in very, very full. If you are not, they will fucking punish you and you will look a big watery mess. Dude. So you do have to be lean. Dude, I had, so I, you know, I've always known this, but I've never used it. Okay. Mm. And when I say used it myself or with any clients, this year was, I believe, the fifth contest season that I worked with my client. I'll just say his first name, Matt. He's probably going to listen to this. I don't believe he's on this morning. He actually has to do work during the day. Uh, but Matt was absolutely peeled. Like he could not get more peeled. We decided, Hey, instead of adding an oral like Winstrel or halo to get more peeled, because he couldn't really get more peeled. He already was as dry as hard as possible. Why not give it a try? We ran 50 milligrams of oxy, AKA Anadrol into the show, uh, last few weeks. And he, it made a difference. You could see his level of fullness was quite different. Mm. Then he took a week off, uh, and then we went back into it for the last two weeks into his next show, I believe. Um, it definitely, it was a it was a great great addition for him. It's quite a nice finisher uh, if you're in the right place for it. Like many drugs, you know, if you're in the right place for it. Uh, D ball dosing, anything from thirty to sixty mg. I wouldn't particularly run more than that. You could, but I, I would tend to stick sub, sort of 60, 80 meg with D-ball. Um, if you're running it within a cycle, then then anything between 40 and 60 would probably be a nice little compliment. Um, you need to make sure that if you're running D-ball that you know your drug responses to the other compounds you've got in for the sake of estrogen management or that you're testing so you can adjust your estrogen management to suit when Debo comes in. Agreed. Agreed. And then how about the uh, – oh, somebody at your house, Dave? Is that a doorbell? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's a doorbell. Who's at mm. your house? I don't fucking know. I'm downstairs. Is it somebody for eval? Are you supposed to do their blood work right now? No, Shah's upstairs. So if it is, she'll do it. Oh, okay. Um, so oral terinabol. Dosing on that, I think you can start quite low with T-ball. Um, really? Yeah, I mean, when you look at some of the Russian stuff, they were dosing as low as twenty milligram a day and getting quite good impact in their field athletes. So it would depend on where where you want T-ball in. In um, 
I don't think it's going to be massively impacted in the cycle, though it's not a bad little compound. Uh, and it will add a little bit of a, a sprinkling of strength to any cycle. But if you're running it from a performance point of view, you can definitely get away with low as 20, 30 mig. If you're wanting to run within a cycle from bodybuilding, I'd probably look again, similar to D-Ball, about the 40 to 60 mig mark. Yeah, I, I, I would say for performance in general, um, lower dose works well. You know, like, mm. like if you really want to try to gain some muscle with, say, take Anavar, for instance, I'd say, you know, hit it harder, 50 milligrams, maybe even higher than that. But if you're just say like you're a track athlete, MMA guy, 20 milligrams, you're going to notice a good difference on that. Yeah, you are. Uh, and I think that's that's where it's probably best suited overall. Um and ironically, that's where the most, well, I'd love to get all of the Russian research on T-Ball because there is literally reams of the fucking shit. Yeah, yeah. But but I don't think that will ever be published. <laughs> okay, so I'll give you my top three. <coughs> I would put D-Ball as my number one. I'm a big D-Ball okay. fan. Um, I like the injectable D-Ball but mm -hmm. I don't like having to take the everyday shots. I think it is, it's cleaner. You know, my main drawback with deep ball is that it, it disrupts appetite for me personally. Mm -hmm. And I found that the injectable version doesn't do that. And because it is being injected, I do think that you're actually getting more of that dose. You know what I mean? So there's well, you that. Remove that. You remove that bioavailability problem, which you have with all orals, don't you? Exactly, exactly. Anything that has to go through digestion. Um, number two, Ooh, man, that's a tough one. I'm going to go to cutting compounds, and I'm going to say Winstrel. It, it's not okay. like it doesn't excite me. I'm not like, oh, man. But but I'll tell you what, There's it's something that you could – if we look at cutting compounds, I feel like it dries you out more than Anivar does in my experience, it seems to be have a stronger hardening effect versus Anavar, I think, does have a really nice hardening effect. But I think you get like a little bit more of like the hardness, the volume, the strength. I get kind of like a lot of stuff from from Anavar, whereas Ant or excuse me, versus Winstrel, it just seems to really dry you out. And you could run it for a little bit longer. You know, take a drug like mm. Halo, for instance. You no. can only you, you can't run Halo for like the last eight weeks, but you could take uh, Winstrel and taper that up. Maybe start it say thirty forty for a week or two weeks and then go up to 50 then go up to 60 and maybe that last couple of weeks run it at a little higher 70 you know depending on how you're recycling i'm the way i'm thinking of doing that that would be a guy who didn't have any other cutting compounds in and he just wanted like one hardener in i think you get a lot out of that if you were running it with with other hardening compounds say trend or trend and master on then maybe just throw in 50 for the last four weeks and i think that it's a nice little Nice little icing on the cake. Uh, D-ball, I'll go back to that dosing-wise. I'd say 25 is a, is a good place to start, especially if you've never used it before. Um, I don't think you really need a lot more than 50 because I think that the, the side effects will catch up with you quicker. Issues, like I mentioned, appetite problems. Uh, you start getting up higher than 50. I think that those issues could happen faster. Uh, estrogen issues will obviously compound as you up the dose. Uh, but I will say this, man, I'm not a stranger to 100 milligrams of D-ball pre-workout. <laughs> there is something pretty special about that. Uh, don't do what I say or don't do, <laughs> don't, don't, don't do what I do. Don't do what I've done. That's all I have to say. 
In third, uh, I've got to come up with a third, and that's where things get a little tricky. Oh, Dave, help me out here. What am I missing? We've got, we, well, I mentioned Halo. We've got Anavar. I've never had a long, successful run with Anavar. That's me personally. Super draw. Super draw. Super draw destroyed my appetite in like just looking at it. I'll say Halo. <laughs> I'll say Halo just because it's pretty much like magic flat out the only the only thing i have with halo halo is it's not a very versatile compound it's very singular in its application yeah 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 there's not like you're not gonna take that leftover halo from your prep and do anything else with it you know what i mean no no it's, it is what it is yeah. um there's no doubt well i suppose we could have we could have suggested um the old oral methyl train Oh, you liked that too, didn't you? No, I didn't. I thought it was fucking shit. <laughs> but um, it, it, I mean, it started life as an oral, didn't it? it? It went to an injectable form at a later date. Okay, yeah. Yeah, the, the oral, that was, uh, it kind of reminded me of rat poison. <laughs> Probably not far off, really. <laughs> oh, we got a question from Laser asking... Um, what type of halo is left over though i'll tell you what type when your source um measures filling bottles by volume by weight versus by counting them and then the calibrations are off on the machine so you get a bottle of halo that's supposed to have like 50 tabs and it has like 300 tabs that may How have big happened was this fucking ball like this big I mean, fucking like this. Yeah. It's like this big, but the pills are tiny, man. They're tiny, absolutely yeah, they tiny. They yeah, that may have happened to somebody I know you, that's yes. on this podcast. And not me. Not me either, Christmas Cabbage. Don't you bring Christmas Cabbage into this. Welcome to our channel. New sponsor for our Canadian followers, supplementsource.ca. Known for the best prices, this online supplement retailer has been around since 95, offering blowouts on top name supplements that are overstocked, short dated, or have gone through a label change. Plus, you can get great prices on all their normally stocked supplements as well. They have free shipping over $99 and great discounts on bulk orders. Guys, if you want to support our programming and you're in Canada, you can do so by shopping with our new sponsor, supplementsource.ca. Oh, and while you're up there in Canada, have a butter tart today. It's okay. You deserve it. In fact, it's part of your diet. I said so. I'm a coach. I mentioned this on the last uh, podcast I did. Stop trying to get a sponsorship from fucking Monster with Ray, and it ain't happening. We're too small. <laughs> 100 mil- 180 milligrams of caffeine, Dave. Nah. Uh, U.S. has 300. We, that's something we did right. There's very little you did right, really. You guys have 200, I believe, in the UK. You know, I've no idea, do we? Yeah, it, you got, you, you've got it there. It's 200 milligrams there. So mm. that's the pretty much in itself, it was the reason that we left. You left because of the can of rain didn't have enough caffeine in it. Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah. Because rain's been around for a couple of hundred years. That's why we left and we started our own country, pretty much. No, you stole somebody else's country. <laughs> it was pretty much empty, Dave. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
That was a bad I think thing. there's a whole nation of people that may actually argue that one. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to get behind that one. I'm not going to get no, behind that one. Tread carefully now. Right. Uh, totally joking, guys. Anyway, we do have a bunch of listener questions. Um, one that I, I couldn't find it. This was asked to me uh, from one of our guys. He actually hit me up over on Instagram. I'm going to tell you guys right now, if you message me on Instagram with a question for the show, the chances of that question actually getting on the program are very slim because by the time that we actually record, I'm going to have forgotten about that. The best place to put your questions is on the YouTube feed. Uh, We will tackle those questions on the following episode. Dave, we're going to say something there. No, just your lack of professionalism. That's all. Okay. Uh, But I do recall what his question was. He's been using injectable D-ball and he wants to go to oral D-ball. Either he ran out or he's just sick and tired of the everyday shots. Uh, and, and he wanted to ask us about how we would suggest uh, making that transition. To me, I thought it'd be real simple. You just stop taking the injections and start taking start the pills. The orals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. There's nothing more to it. I mean, dosing conversion is going to be a little bit more hit and miss. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Oh, fucking hell. I would guess that you're gonna lose somewhere between ten and twenty percent. Yeah, I could see that. Um, depending on how you are with how you take the oral, if you're fast and you put it in with you know good healthy fats, and you might find a bitch better absorption. But uh, I would, I would, I would suspect that you're gonna lose somewhere between ten and twenty percent efficiency um, by orally ingesting the drug. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's half-life so short. You just, you know, you switch from injecting one day to taking the tablets the next. There's not really much more to it. Yeah. And I, I guess too, even though you're talking about the same compound, uh, I wouldn't expect the same results. You know what I mean? Like I, I, I wouldn't try to match it one per one. Like now I should, you know, I was taking 50 D ball inject and now I'm going to go to, you know, 72.5 72.5 milligrams oral. You know, I just take the 50 again. You know what I mean? It's not going to be quite the same, but, you know, you're still going to get a good effect from it. Yeah. Uh, and as we discussed a million times, you know, micromanaging drug cycles, there's far more things within what you do that could probably benefit your progress rather than micromanaging your drug cycle. That's a good point right there. Absolutely. All right. I got another one here. These are from uh, the Facebook group, actually. Brandon says, um, does working a manual labor type job provide enough cardio to be sufficient for heart health long-term while on gear, or does it need to be added in still? I work four 10-hour days each week and consistently get between, holy shit, 20,000 to 24,000 steps in at work while loading big metal cans into airplanes uh, plus train before work uh, for an hour. I'm actually exhausted by the end of the night. No shit. Uh, so I feel like I'd be totally gassed if I were to add in cardio. Don't want to neglect it, though, if it's necessary. Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. This is where I think a lot of people fuck up. Hmm. So heart health cardio. Going for a fucking walk is not cardio. The reason it's called knee is in the name, non-exercise. 
Um, so you've got to be the amount of people that I said I hear say, "Oh, well, I do ten thousand steps, so that's my cardio." No, it's not. It's cardio if you're elevating your heart rate to a high enough level. But if you're not, no, it's not. It, it's just it's calorific burn, but it's not stimulating enough to to have a big impact on cardiac health. So if he's 20,000 steps and his loading is quite physical and he's getting a sweat on and his heart rate's being elevated, then yes, that will count towards his cardio for his heart health. If it's not, then unfortunately, no. It is not going to stress the heart, and as a result, the heart is not going to benefit from that, that type of exercise, that type of movement. Um, you see this all the time. You see it all the time in prep. I'm doing cardio. No, you're going for a walk with your fucking dog. <laughs> you know there is a difference uh, uh, and if you really want the benefit from cardio then it has to be impacting it has to have an elevation of heart rate uh, and if it doesn't then its benefits are going to be minimal yeah yeah i would agree with you to an extent that i i think that i i wonder i wonder in his situation he says he is loading big metal cans into airplanes is he doing this by hand or does he have some sort of a machine? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, if you're doing a physical job that is generally quite mundane, but enable, then means you are doing 15,000, 20,000 steps a day, yeah. and you want to create a cardiovascular benefit from that, just do that job with more intensity. Yeah. You know, you can, you can mop a floor at a harder and more intense rate that will give you cardiovascular benefits rather than just gently pushing the mop around because that's all you need to do to clean. Increase the intensity in your work and you'll get cardiovascular benefits from that. But if it's just steady state where you're not breaking the sweat, you're not having you know any increased labor with breathing, then it, its impact on your cardiovascular system is going to be virtually non-existent. It's just going to be a calorific burn. Yeah. Yeah, I, I could see that for sure. Dude, I just looked it up to see, and I thought this was the case. I looked up to see what was the average for steps. It says, um, for general fitness, most adults should aim for 10,000 steps per day. He's over double of that. But again, that's, there's, there's a, you know, there's, there's, that's very misleading because it's talking about fitness. Yeah. If I walk 10,000 steps a day, yes, there's going to be improvement in my fitness because I generally am quite sedentary because I spend a lot of time sat at a desk at a computer. Yeah. But that 10,000 steps is going to be nowhere impacting on my fitness if I did 6,000 on a treadmill at an elevated rate. That's going to have much more impact on my fitness, and I'm going to get a lot, lot fitter because I am pushing my cardiovascular ability. I would agree Whereas with that. When I'm walking, just general walking, I'm generally staying well within my cardiovascular ability. So like we're training, you know, if you go and do the same weights week in, week out, and you never push failure, you'll never stimulate progress. The same is true of your cardiovascular ability. Yeah. I'll tell you what, when I had a physical manual job, um, man, all I needed to do was clean the diet up a little bit, and I would just get shredded. Like rapidly, yeah, well, that, that, you know? the, you're not escaping the calorific burn from that exercise. That's always going to be present. And there's a there's a difference between calorie burn from exercise and cardiovascular benefit from exercise. The two are not, you know, the same. They are different. Um, if you, I mean, I remember having a physical job years ago where I was working in a um, artificial stoke, 
And in a week, I shoveled over 40 tons of sand and stone. That was intense, and I was incredibly fit. But I You should do that some day. more still. Like, that would it's be... fucking die of a heart attack <laughs> if I did it now. But, <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I was lean, and I was fit. I bet. Because... It was it was intense work. It was brutal. But just walking is not going to have anywhere near the same impact. So it all depends on his level of physical activity. That doesn't necessarily mean he has to add right. cardio in. It just means he makes his work more cardiovascular beneficial by upping the pace at which he does it. We gotta we we gotta move on. But I also want to mention it, him him trying to grow muscle that that's a whole other conversation trying to that, grow yeah, muscle I mean, at 24,000 steps be, a day that's going to be a lot you know that's a lot of food and i would definitely be going the three times a week high intensity low volume just trying to hit weights hard and, and get as much rest as he possibly can yeah um okay i think there's a little confusion that this guy has in this question uh igor he says um since my glands were removed, I have the impression that I no longer experience water retention. My last cycle was 400 milligrams of test sip every week. And before the operation, I did 500 milligrams of test E every week. When they remove your glands, does it affect your water retention? Or is it the ester? Or is it really because I only used 100, because I used 100 milligrams less per week? My diet was nearly the same in both cycles. Um, between both cycles was a five to six month break. So what he's saying is, is that he ran 500 milligrams of test. He yeah, I get it. got gyno surgery and then he's running 400 milligrams of test. And he says, hey, I'm holding less water. Does, so let me ask you, Dave, does, does getting gyno surgery have anything to do with holding water? No. Okay. You're not affecting estrogen receptors. You're not affecting estrogen level. You are just removing the glands that respond to the ER um, agonist, so the ER being stimulated by high estrogen and therefore stimulating the growth of the gland. Glands removed, can't glow. You don't get bitched it anymore but it has no impact on your aromatization rate. It has no impact on your water retention rate. Um, however, with there are several factors that could play into this. One, because we're using UGL, we don't know consistency of dose of drug. We don't know if the 500 was dosed correctly or if the 400 were dosed correctly. And to a degree, there is, there is a tipping point in, in test levels where once you go above, you'll find a little bit of an increase in estrogen to what you would normally see. That's very personal. Uh, and you'll see people that were on three, 400 with no estrogen issues. And then all of a sudden they go to 500 and because their estrogen tips over say 160, um, this is UK obviously. So they tip over say 160, all of a sudden now they start getting loads of estrogen problems. Ah. So there is a, there, the, the, the estrogen response or how your body reacts to estrogen is not a linear thing. Uh, you know, if you your your estrogen conversion and your water retention at 100, 100 pmol, it's not going to be double at 200 pmol. There will be a point where all of a sudden your estrogen size do manifest much greater. Yeah. Uh, and that's down to an individual's estrogen reception. Also, body fat levels play a role in that and, and lifestyles play a role in that, i.e. alcohol consumption, stuff like that as well. Yeah, that makes sense. Um. What does laser say here? Of course, laser's with us. He says, by the way, 
estrogen's impact on water retention isn't because of estradiol itself, but because of the stimulatory impact from androgens, IGF-1 and estradiol, on the renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. I think the I think he's like telling us some stuff because he's smart, and he wanted us to. to so know. why is he watching this show? I don't know. I don't know. Why would anyone smart watch this show? I don't know. It doesn't make sense, does it? No, it doesn't at all. Huh? Hang on, I'm hearing footsteps. On that note, guys, we well, appreciate you watching. <laughs> Dave, I'm also getting told to fuck. What have I done wrong? I made your tea. Oh, all right. Apparently, my food's been made and it's gone cold because I'm doing this podcast. Oh, great, Dave. Well, we can we can uh, button up when you're ready. We, we uh... well, I haven't done my three favorite cakes yet. Oh, that's right. All right, let's let's blow through these. We have got a couple more. We got a few more vegetables. Okay. I know your answer to this one. Jeff Riley <coughs> says, uh, "Vegetable intake in the off season." When you are deep in off-season, do you still eat vegetables or do you rely on green supplements? Do the green supplements you use provide sufficient amount of micronutrients? Um, veggies, veggies are important off-season and pre-comp. In fact, I just, most people look veg pre-comp because it means they can get more food volume in with less calories. True. Rather than as a filling agent, really, rather than anything else. Um, um, I dropped vegetables towards the back end, but it wasn't because I didn't think they were worthwhile. It was just um, because basically I was eating such a huge volume of food, the veg became a problem. Yeah. Uh, and I switched to, to uh, supplementation. But greens, do they provide you with enough? They provide you with some of the micronutrients, but they don't have the impact on digestive health that actually eating vegetable would do, i.e. fiber and things like that. Yeah. So the real thing is always going to be better. And most people aren't going to get to a few volume level where they need to drop veg. But, you know, for some people, it will become an issue. Yeah. I I remember you saying that, on under that in the under construction days, you had reduced the vegetable volume. I think... You know, one one area where they are helpful is to have that fiber from the mm -hmm. roughage. So if you do need to cut those out and you were to use a green supplement, you're probably going to need to increase your fiber intake as well. I mean, who knows, man? You might be eating enough fibrous carbs. You might be fine. Why have you suddenly gone quiet? Scott? Hello. Don't play games. <laughs> Brandon says he does actually work with some intensity, so he's pleased to know that his workload will actually help his heart health. Okay, good. Which is what I was reading, and you thought I was looking at messages from someone. I thought you were. I figured you were like you. I, sometimes you forget we're podcasting. I think. No, I was reading Brandon's message in the in the, in the messages there. Oh no, that's not Brandon. That's Eagle. Uh, oh, we did this one that back up again. Yeah. Because I'm making this. Sort it out, you unprofessional person. All right. Let me see what else we got here. Um, got a training question. Curious on your opinion on cables for upright rows, narrow and wide grip versus dumbbells or barbells. Do you think 
the constant tension does more harm than good on the AC joint uh, or AC joint or RC? Uh, or is the weight or hand position being used the variable of your decisions? I don't think there's any positive or negatives to the cable rather than just a variation in how you'll experience the load. Yeah. In a row situation, um, the load is really continuously going to be a downward force. So you're not going to change much in the way of tension using the cable as you are to a, a weight because the weight's always going to be pulling down in the same way the cable's all been pulling down where cables would have a big change in how the exercise impact the muscle would be say something like flies because when you get to the top of the fly motion the load goes off because yeah. the load is pushing down and that's no longer causing a great deal of muscle stimulus where with the cable the tension is constant so you're still getting a load trying to pull your arm back away true um so cables would change an exercise in something like a fly much more dramatically I don't see there being much change on a cable with an upright row. Regard joint health, that's got nothing to do with cables or load. In, in, in essence, it's more to do with how you perform the exercise, how smooth and controlled you are. Obviously, load, if it becomes excessive, is going to have an increased wear and tear. But as a barbell or dumbbells will create pretty much constant tension in an upright row anyway, Cables aren't really changing that, uh, and and joint health through a, an upright row movement is going to be more down to either forcing yourself into a, a position that's not comfortable with your hand grip. Uh, one particularly is going narrow narrow hand grip and then ending up with wrist issues. Yeah, I've seen Especially that. Going, I felt that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but other than that, I don't see I see joints being more about how you perform the rep rather than the actual way you perform the rep, as in barbell or cables. Yeah. So when I used to do barbell row, or excuse me, the way I was taught to do upright rows, uh, we would bring it like all the way up to your face, basically. And nowadays, what I've learned is to kind of stop around the solar plexus and that you put a lot less pressure on your shoulder joint that way. I, I prefer a slightly wider grip, but just making sure you keep those elbows really high. Okay. And how high up do you take your hands? Do you go all the way up to your face? Still? I, go, go, I, go as high, I go as high yeah. as my range will allow. Okay. Um, quite go, just as, I'm watching you. When you go wider, you can only really get up to that solar plexus. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to, if your hands are close, yeah, you're probably no, not going to go. You're not going to go up to there, are you? Because at that point, yeah, I'm I'm well, at that point, there's a lot of form. The, uh, in order to get up past here, so if I bring it up to here, my arms are... Now I'm gonna, yeah. Now you're you're getting your forearm is coming forward uh, a little bit. Yeah, I get what you're saying. There is a limitation, but it's just down to your own personal mobile, uh, shoulder mobility. True. Keep the keep the bars close to your chest. Keep your elbow high, and and where your range stops is where your your physical range stops. That's that's how I would approach it. Same with like you know, um, I remember seeing pictures or in video of guys like Franco Colombo who were doing lateral raises. And they were just taking their arms all the way up, like basically going overhead with it. And I think that with a lateral, I, you know, say we're using a dumbbell, I don't really want to come up past parallel to the floor. Like I don't want my arm to be beyond that parallel to the floor, you know? I'd go probably just slightly above. But again, 
I'd stick to the the the, the where I'm feeling the contraction in the delt and yes. range from that. So that that's about my limit point. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my delt's fully contracted at that point. When I start going above that, I'm starting to get into rotator cuff conditioning and things like that. Because I'm, I'm, there's no way you're going much above that if you're doing the, the eat correctly. Because you're yeah. just going to go beyond your limit of range. Uh, let's see. We got one here on the live feed from Kyle Becker. Scott, what's your preferred BPC protocol with nagging shoulder joint pain? Um, I've gone higher than a lot of people. Uh, a milligram per day would be where I'd start. If it was really crazy, maybe I'd double that. But I'd start at a milligram per day and go through my first five milligram vial at that dose. And then I'd probably take it down 750, you know, do that for a vial and then see where I'm at. If I want to keep running it, then maybe I'd go to 500 a day, something like that. It works well. I love this stuff. I haven't used TB500. I know Dave's Dave's had some experience with that. He didn't mention yeah, TB, but, but I know a lot of people use it together. Yeah, I, TB's good for inflammation, definitely. But it's more of a system-wide approach rather than a specific sighting approach. Yeah. Could probably use some of that. Um, did we do this one? Let me see here. Oh, okay. So Brandon posted this question last week. He says, um, question for the next drugs and stuff, or let's call it technology and stuff from now okay. on. Yeah. Uh, is there any benefit to running trend E at a dose similar to the old amps, like 75 milligrams per week? Getting some fucking people calling me, Dave. Uh, primarily for the extra strength boost and maximizing the effectiveness of other compounds without having uh, the severe trend sides from a high dose. Well, it's not going to have any impact on your other compounds because there's no synergy, really. Um, I mean, your, your, effects on, your effects from trend is going to be dose-based against your tolerance of the drug. Um, all things being equal, the higher the dose, the more effect you're going to have, but the higher the dose, the more sides you're going to have, and that there is a point when those sides become negative and, and start having an, an impact on your progress from the drug. Um, I always think with trend, you want to do the less is more approach as much as you can, but there's no set numbers on that. I would say that there is, um, that, that, that if you were to say run high test, that my response to trend has been different side effects wise. Well, yeah, because the higher your estrogen levels, the more you're going to have a problem with trend sides. Okay. Um, because trend is going to increase your sensitivity to estrogen. Yeah, so he's got 300 mast, 300 test E. I think it'd be a nice little cycle. He he did have an update for us too, and he said uh, he's at four weeks in right now, and everything is starting to synergize quite well, it seems. Um, I'm having the most intense training sessions I've had, uh, feeling really mentally solid and confident while recovering uh, quickly compared to previous test-only cycles. Oh, I bet you are. <laughs> it's a lot more drugs, right? It is, yes. All right. What else do we have left here? We did the vegetables question. Um, we did the glands question. I think this is our last question here. We might have one more in the live feed. I'll go back and check in a second. Oh, so this is actually a question that was posted for um, – it's just bodybuilding. But they, they don't really cover this stuff, so I brought it here. 
says, uh, should pre-workout meals be modified when incorporating IGF-1 LR3 into the regimen, or does after-workout need to be modified? Uh, currently bringing in 20 grams of white isolate, 50 carbs from cream or rice pre-workout. Um, he's also taking Carbolin, intra-workout, and True Nutrition EAAs. Shout out to True Nutrition for his intra. Uh, post is banana, two scoops of whey. Just curious what experience has been gained from the crew with personal trial and error. So IGF, do you need to adjust your diet? I don't, it's not like insulin, you know? No, I'm, I don't you need to adjust your diet. You just need to be wary of where you inject around your meal protocols. Um, it sounds like someone's overthinking a little bit there. Scott, I desperately need to go for a pee. Day's I have 50. messaged you, you ignored it, and I am oh. about to piss myself. <laughs> Dave, get out of here. Go. I'll close the show. I am really show. sorry, guys, go. but I have to go for a pee. Go, go, go. Guys, it's been fun. But Dave's 50 now, so he's got to, you know, take care of business. Actually, he's not 50, but he's he's getting there. His birthday's coming up soon. We appreciate you guys watching. Uh, of course, shop with our awesome sponsor, True Nutrition. Uh, you can use our code THINK for some additional savings. Of course, too, uh, check out our new sponsor, supplementsource.ca. They've got great deals over there. Uh, go to crosslands.org.uk. You can reach out to Dave there for coaching. Hit me up at McNallyDiets at gmail.com. I'd be happy to talk to you there, guys, for another episode of Drugs and Stuff. <laughs> we'll see you soon, guys. True Nutrition has supported our programming now for a number of years, and I'm super grateful for it because they believe in us and I believe in them. I'm sure you guys have heard of Dante Trudell. We talk about him on the shows. Uh, he had a vision of offering high-quality, third-party tested supplements at a fair price. They have a ton of different protein powders, just about every type you could think of, literally thousands of flavor combinations. Hit me up if you're interested in suggestions. They offer health supplements. I use their collagen and their fish oil. And of course, they offer performance supplements. You can get bulk EAA powder or beta alanine. You can also get finished products like the Mountain Dog Perry MD Intra Workout. If you shop with True Nutrition and you use our code THINK, you'll get some additional savings, you'll get high-quality supplements, and you will support our programming. You can also help to support the shows through Patreon. I appreciate everybody who's made a contribution. You guys are helping to keep me pumping these podcasts out. I have links to everything in the description. Check them out. Let me know what you think, and let's get back to the program.